Orange will never be the new pink. I cannot stress this enough. I cannot stress this enough. Hi, guys. Hey. I hope you're having a really great Wednesday morning. Yeah, I hope everybody's, you know, staying safe out there. There's a lot going on in the world right now, as we all know. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about it for a minute. Oh, that sounds so, like, blasé. It's not what I meant (laughs) at all. But I think it's kind of ridiculous not to mention, like, a huge historical moment that's happening right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. We obviously want to encourage everyone to you know, donate and protest and just call and email your politicians and keep taking those action steps. We also like want to hold ourselves accountable. Yeah. And, you know, if you like me don't live in the U.S., that doesn't mean that there aren't steps that you can do because like this is bigger than just a U.S. problem. It's a worldwide problem. And yeah, I'm, I'm finding it a really great opportunity to like educate myself on like the history of racism in Canada, which is where I live. And, you know, there's stuff that you can do all over the world. Yeah. I've had multiple like very intense conversations and mm-hmm. that was really interesting to see unfold, especially talking to people who you know, maybe you know people like your friends who are super left, like they're really liberal, you know, far from conservative, but you're like, you're you're doing some stuff that's like not really comfortable or mm-hmm. you're just having conversations with like parents and stuff. It's like, it's a time. <sighs> it's like stressful yeah. and uncomfortable, but I guess I think that this is what we have to do right now have these uncomfortable conversations because like you're not having them now then when will you yeah exactly and like you know feeling uncomfort and guilt like in your within yourself means that you're like actually facing stuff and like growing from it which can only be good it's what we all need to do like we said in last week's episode and it's on our instagram as well um there's a link to a google doc in the description of this episode and it has like tons of information it's got petitions places to donate educational resources black owned businesses you can support all kinds of stuff so please do check that out if you want to help you're not sure where to start like it's a really comprehensive list and we really recommend taking a look at it yes definitely Shall we get into the movie for yeah. a moment in time? For this brief moment in time, today we're going to be talking about the 2001 classic Legally Blonde. This movie is so good, and I forgot how good it was when we first mm-hmm. picked it, but after watching it, I was like, this is probably the most independent female character mm. of maybe any movie that I've ever seen because it really yeah. like centers on like her and what she is doing to like get where she wants to be in the world. Yeah, I think that like, you know, even though as we're going to talk about like Elle's motivations initially to like go to law school was for a man, like she kind of totally abandons that and like really comes into her own and does it for herself. Oh, yeah. And I think that's like such an inspiring narrative to see and especially like for a movie that came out almost 20 years ago. I definitely agree with you. Um, When we first decided to do the movie, we had one person specifically immediately come to mind. They love Legally Blonde. Um, I think of them when I think of Legally Blonde, like hand in hand. That's Mm -hmm. our beloved (laughs) good friend, Tegan. 
Yeah, there's truly nobody on this earth, except for maybe Reese Witherspoon, for whom Legally Blonde has been more impactful. So without further ado, we'll jump right into our sweet little interview with beautiful Tegan. So without much further ado, we'd like to introduce our first guest on the podcast. Hello. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hi. I am so happy that you guys asked me to join today. I'm Tegan. I am a lover of all things Legally Blonde. Fun fact, actually, if you search transgender Legally Blonde on Google, the first three results that come up are related to me directly. Oh, my my God. In a way, I feel like that's all the bio that I need to give. Yeah. If you want to know more... Listeners, go do a Google search. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Check yeah. out those search results. <laughs> a literal legally blonde celebrity. That's how I feel right now. What can I say? Reese Witherspoon did like one of my tweets once in August oh of gosh. 2018. It was the greatest moment of my life. So I know she like kind of knows I exist, or yeah. at least she did for like a brief second on Twitter. It's my claim to fame. Can you tell us what that tweet was? Yeah, so it was actually, I wrote an article um, all about, like, how Legally Blonde empowered my trans identity. And I remember I was, like, tweeting it at her so much because I was like, all I want is for Reese Witherspoon to notice me. And I had just put up a really sad tweet. I was like, Reese will never know I exist. She was, like, (laughs) liking all these other fan tweets. And I was like, ugh, like, they're not the real stands. Like, I am. And then in the midst of my complaining, I refreshed my page. It was like, Reese Witherspoon and liked your tweet and I was like <gasps> I had like a framed picture of her beside my bed at the time so it was oh a very momentous occasion for me I was thrilled uh, I've screened wow. I have screenshots of that that I now print out and keep beside my bed instead of course yeah you should have that. that like beautifully framed in your living room honestly like right above the couch that's where oh, like a mural to. absolutely absolutely Reese liked your tweet perfection <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah do you want to do you want to start We have a couple of questions for you. Love it. The first one, I'll just jump, just jump right in here. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like at the time you first remember watching Legally Blonde? Yes. Okay. This is a really interesting question because Legally Blonde as an entity has been a part of my life for a very long time, but I didn't see the movie until I was like 19. I loved the musical. And I remember when I was in the sixth grade, they filmed the Broadway production and they like aired it on MTV. So this was my first exposure to Legally Blonde. I was very sheltered as a kid. So my mom would not let me watch this PG-13 movie when I was 11 years old. So instead, I would like go home every day and I would watch the like DVR recording of Legally Blonde the musical on MTV like over and over again. I don't know why this was like seemingly more appropriate than the movie, I guess (laughs) because they sang. But I was desperate to watch the movie. So I would go onto iTunes and I would like watch the trailer for the movie like again and again I had it memorized I was obsessed I was a very feminine little kid shocking oh my god I know (laughs) and I also was blonde when I was little so like I feel like I was like oh my god I was like Reese Witherspoon is the prettiest person I've ever seen and I was just obsessed with all her outfits obsessed with everything about her that it took me a really long time until I actually, you know, watched the movie. But when I did, 
let me tell you, things changed for me. Um, so when I first saw the movie, I had like just gone through this terrible breakup. It was like a long-term relationship and I was just so devastated when it ended. So I was like sitting in my bed crying as one does, you know, eating some cookies. And I was like, you know what? This is just like that scene that I saw in the Legally Blonde trailer (laughs) when I was 12 years old. And I was like, I should watch Legally Blonde. I feel like that's like quintessential breakup movie material. Um, So I watched it and it literally just kind of totally changed my life from that point forward. I had just started identifying as trans at the time too. So I feel like I was kind of searching for, you know, the ways that I wanted to express my gender, the way that I wanted to like be feminine, like more outwardly and kind of seeing Legally Blonde just became, it became gospel to me. It became a guidebook for how I wanted to live my life. It became a source of like empowerment for me. Um, It motivated me. And so I just started watching it all the time. And now I've probably seen it like hundreds of times just in like the last five years alone. That's really cool. But yeah, I remember hearing a little bit about like how much the movie meant to you. So it's like nice to get that full progression throughout a lifetime. Yeah. I'm also like high key watching it again. Al is such a good role model. So I totally understand that. Mm. Right? Yeah. She's the best. It's it just one of those movies that it's like every time you watch it, it gets a little bit better. Now I feel like I could quote the whole thing. The first mm. and the second movie, I know, I'm sure we'll discuss the second movie a little <laughs> bit towards yeah. the end, but so good. Yeah. I When we were prepping for this episode, I remembered that freshman year um, in writing the essay, I wrote an essay about Legally Blonde because we had to write about a movie and my teacher gave us a list of movies and I was like, hey... <laughs> do you think I could write like an essay about the feminism of Legally Blonde instead? And he was like, well, do you care about it? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, go for it. And it's, I reread it and it, I think it's the best essay that I've ever written in my entire life. <laughs> Legally Blonde inspires greatness, right? Yeah. Off that note, um, what do you think is the most important lesson that you learned from Elle? Whew. Okay. Honestly, I think the most important lesson that Elle has brought to my life, that Legally Blonde has brought to my life, is that you can be successful not in spite of your femininity, but because of it. I think that a lot of times, like the narrative that we see play out in Legally Blonde, it plays out in a lot of other movies from this time period, a lot of other movies with female protagonists in general, where, you know, the woman kind of realizes her worth by, um, you know, disregarding the more feminine aspects of herself Mm -hmm. um, by kind of taking the focus off of things like looks and fashion and, you know, boys and just deciding instead to become a more serious person. And what I love about Legally Blonde is that it really rejects that narrative. Of course, Elle goes through a huge journey, a huge transformation in the film where, you know, she starts to take her studies really seriously. She kind of starts to be motivated more by her own goals rather than trying to win Warner back. And that's really, really amazing. Um, But what I love so much is the final scene in the courtroom where, you know, she's done all this work at this point, and there's all these other, like, big shot lawyers, you know, her Harvard classmates, they're all there. And what wins the case in the end is actually Elle's, like, personal knowledge about hair care. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. the, what that the perm would have um, would have gone out, like, had Chutney taken a shower. And it's, like, that's something that she wouldn't have known if not for, you know, her more traditionally feminine interests, right? And I think 
that that's mm-hmm. so, so cool because it just goes to show, she says she's like any Cosmo girl would have known, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show that it's like, you don't need to kind of like suppress or like eliminate those feminine parts of yourself in order to be successful. In fact, that can actually serve you in the long run. That information is not frivolous, you know? I'm not saying you're, you're not going to win a court case maybe because of reading Cosmo, <laughs> but at the same time, you never know, right? Yeah. It can't hurt it can't just hurt. to flip yep. through the pages. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What do you think makes this movie so timeless and still relevant today? Uh, You know, and that is the truth. It is timeless and still relevant today. I actually love seeing like Legally Blonde get posted a bit like on Twitter, like there'll be like a viral tweet about Legally Blonde like every other month. And that's so amazing. I think that really the core of the story is just so truly empowering. And I think it transcends the time that it came out, even though I adore the movie as a beautiful time capsule of the year 2001. Mm. Um, Perfect day, that intro and outro song. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. (laughs) But I think also, you know, in addition to that really amazing core message of like embracing your femininity, embracing who you are and being true to yourself. I also think it's really cool that Legally Blonde is actually not necessarily a story with romance at its center. Um, I think that romance plays a part in it. Obviously, you know, um, the initial breakup with Warner is kind of what ignites a fire behind Elle's eyes. It's what gives her the idea to go to Harvard in the first place. But um, once she gets there, the story really kind of takes a turn and the focus becomes her. Um, How can she empower herself? How can she, you know, do right by herself, by the friends that she meets? And even Emmett, I think, plays a pretty small part in the movie as a whole. He's kind of always there to, like, support her, you know? And he's there in the background. At the end, they, like, make a mention that, like, you know, like, he's going to propose tonight. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that the big ending is about them finally getting together. The big ending is her winning the court case. And then that final scene is her giving, you know, that valedictorian speech at Harvard graduation. And I think that's why people really still find, you know, so much value in the film today because it's one, it's honestly, it's one of the only rom-coms from that time period I can think of where romantic love is not the end goal. And even today, I mean, how often do we see a narrative play out where romance is not kind of viewed as, you know, this success in the end for the character? I just think it's really cool. Definitely. When we were doing some research, we saw that this film was listed as, like, um, was it something like romantic, like, comedy? It's comedy, romantic are the two things it's listed under on on IMDb, which I think is not quite an accurate depiction. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like, there, there are romantic elements, of course, but I think it's more like comedy, coming of age, law. Definitely. So it gets a little bit of a legal drama. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. I think this is also like one of the movies from the 2000s that is aged the best. Yeah. I feel like if you remade it now, you really wouldn't have to change very much at all. Absolutely. Also, I mean, the strong kind of like Me Too storyline that took place way before Mm -hmm. that huge reckoning in Hollywood um, started. And I even think that the feminism of Legally Blonde was kind of way ahead of its time compared to a lot of other films. It painted, um, you know, her character in such a different light. And it really was unafraid to 
tackle some of those more serious issues. And yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool because a lot of times I think that female characters, leads in rom-coms or, you know, oh God, my least favorite term, but also like my like guilty pleasure favorite term, <laughs> like chick flicks, right? Mm-hmm. I think they kind of get like written off as being ditzy, frivolous characters and you look at the cover of the movie Legally Blonde and it's going to tell you a different story than what the actual film really is about. Definitely. And I totally also feel like because the woman is the major role, like when a woman is the leading role, especially when they're feminine, I feel like a lot of guys are automatically like, oh, this isn't really the type of movie that I want to watch without fully understanding the plot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that Legally Blonde, um, and like I said, I did watch that trailer many times, although it's been a while (laughs) since I've seen it, but I would go and guess that the trailer probably also kind of hints at a movie that maybe is going to be a little different in, like, you know, substance than what it actually winds up being, which is not to rag on any other rom-com from that that era, because many are also iconic and just as good. Mm -hmm. Just as Elle has taught us, so we don't need to drag any the other films down but i would definitely say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so how do you feel about the upcoming second sequel that there's been some spicy new developments on well i am super excited i cannot wait for the expansion of the legally blonde cinematic universe um i actually i'm like one of those people i love the original like the first sequel like i love legally blonde 2 red white and blonde um Mm -hmm. it's kind of a ridiculous film but i i tend to watch them back to back pretty often Mm -hmm. um so i really like the second one um, Legally Blondes. Do y'all remember with the twins from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, the yeah. girl twins? I did oh, not yeah. watch it, but I've seen pictures of it. There's nothing to see. They have like a loose connection to Elle. I think they're her cousins yeah, or something. I, I was like, no. okay, we don't. Elle is like their aunt, yeah. I want to say. Yeah, we don't we don't talk about them. Exactly, yeah. I, we, we have nothing to do with them, so that is not canon in my mind. Um, So I'm really excited for the third one. I think what's really cool, obviously so much time has passed. I think Mm -hmm. that Legally Blonde has been a film and Elwood's has been a character that's shaped so many other stories now over the last, I guess, nearly 20 years. Um, I was just thinking um, for any of the Schitt's Creek fans, um, like Alexis's story, no spoilers, but like the story of Alexis Rose in Schitt's Creek, I also felt like kind of had a really similar thematic ending to the story of Elwood's in the sense that her journey was always about kind of, you know, realizing that she was worth more than what people always made her think based on her looks or her upbringing. Um, and she kind of embraced that, you know, she was capable all along. And I thought, I was like, oh my God, it's the Legally Blonde narrative. Like now I see things mm-hmm. and I'll be like, that's that's the Elle Woods, that's the Elle Woods narrative. And so yeah. I'm excited to see how they're going to kind of play off of that now that so much time has passed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited. I haven't seen the the second one Probably since I think I've only seen it one time, but now that I've like rewatched Legally Blonde for like the millionth time and have been doing all this research and like thinking about it constantly, I really want to rewatch the second one and see what I get from it. Because I know that it's about like animal testing, like cosmetics, animal testing. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. I mean, also, you know, that's a movie (laughs) in which she goes to DC. (laughs) 
she like you know she goes to DC and yeah. she's like in Congress, um, which will also be interesting to see how they're going to play off of you know yeah. the political climate of the last few years. Who right. knows what it will be in a you know even mm-hmm. a couple years from now. Also, Mindy Kaling writing it like what yeah. a genius idea. And Reese I'm has so become excited. kind of like such a hero in terms of like you know representation in mm-hmm. um, film and TV. She's produced so many projects through Hello Sunshine, which is her company. Um, she's, you know, oh my gosh, Little Fires Everywhere I just watched, which was amazing. So I feel like mm-hmm. I'm so excited to see how she's going to bring kind of like, you know, all this hard work that she's been doing for, you know, women in Hollywood to a new chapter of Elwood's story. Who knows where she's going to go? Yeah. She's had such an incredible career. Oh my God. Like, yeah. My God. She it's really, insane. really has. I, yeah. I I did an initiative briefly. It was called Witherspoon Wednesday, and basically, I the idea was I, I was like, this. okay, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a big thing. I was passionate about for about. I was like every Wednesday for a year. I'm going to sit down at 9 p.m. and watch one of Reese Witherspoon's films. I, like, put them on shuffle. I had every film she had ever been in. We did it for, like, six weeks, which was kind of impressive. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it just became a commitment that I couldn't that I couldn't follow through with. Um, but, yeah. yeah, Reese Witherspoon's career has been so amazing. And I honestly think that Legally Blonde, though, is probably her most iconic role, which is really saying something because mm-hmm. she's, done, she's had so many amazing roles. What I also love about this, you know, Legally Blonde, the second sequel coming so much later, is that I think there, you know, obviously aren't a lot of really great roles for women over a certain age. Like, you know, women yeah. over 40. Yeah. And, like, what does it look like to take a character like Elle, who that was Reese probably, you know, around our age in, like, her young to mid-20s. What does it look like to take that character now and give her something really interesting to do as an adult woman who's had a lot of life experiences? How will that play into her story? Um, Especially, you know quote-unquote chick flicks and like rom-com type Mm -hmm. movies i don't think we see a lot of stories that center you know a woman who's a little bit older in them and so i'm kind of curious how um they're going to approach that and i think that that will be really amazing for women of all ages to see yeah absolutely and like one thing that really threw me while watching it this time because i i'd watched it a lot i think the last time i watched it i was in college though but watching it now i'm like I'm older than Elle Woods. <laughs> oh my God. Oh no. She went to law school. <laughs> that was that. really insane to feel like whenever I see something that I used to enjoy when I was younger and I watch it now and I'm like, I am that age now. That yeah. is terrifying. That is literally terrifying. But you know, now Elle's a little closer to Paulette in age and yes. there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. We we are so, we are going to be somewhere between Elle Woods and Legally Blonde 1 and Elle Woods and Legally Blonde 3 whenever it should emerge. We'll embrace that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And like Paulette's kids are like not that much younger than us. <laughs> Okay, see, there will be opportunity for us to see ourselves in other, maybe slightly younger characters. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So before we let you go, we have a little lightning round of questions (gasps) for you. Oh, my God. I'm absolutely down. I'm ready for anything. They're very very low pressure. Don't worry about it. Um, Love a little competition. All right. (laughs) So favorite Elwood's outfit? Oh, my God. It has to be 
first day of Harvard with the glasses mm. and, you know, she has kind of like the greenish cardigan it's on. So good. Super cute. Right. Mm. But also, I mean, how can I not mention the incredible court scene outfit from the end yeah. of the film? I mean, it's just too good. I think about it. Every day. Like, that's how you make an entrance, right? Like, she's just serving it too hard there. Yeah. Got to be those two. Okay. C-U-L-A or Harvard? Oh, my gosh. Harvard, of course. Harvard, of course. Because, well, we love the Delta New Girls, okay? We love President L, Homecoming Queen L. It's at Harvard where she really finds herself. She she flips the script. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is is a little bit of a deep cut, but... What is Elle watching on TV after her and Warner break up? Oh, my God. Okay, I don't even think I know what it is. It's like, is it a soap opera? It is. Oh, my God. I don't want to guess. I'm going to be wrong. I don't know that many soap operas. It's not Days of Our Lives. That's not it. No. All My Children. It's General Hospital. You know, I was going to say that next. Pretend I got that right. Yeah, we we definitely had to look it up. We had no idea. We were like, when we were taking notes, we were like, oh, Elle is watching a rom-com. And then we're like, oh, no, it's literally General Hospital. (laughs) Okay. Is orange really the new pink? Orange will never be the new pink. I (laughs) cannot stress this enough. I cannot stress this enough. Whoever said that was completely heinous. The worst color. Okay. (laughs) Pink forever. Pink forever. And lastly, what is your favorite line from the movie? Oh my gosh. My favorite line from the movie is at the end of Elle's valedictorian speech where she says, you must always have faith in people, but most importantly, you must always have faith in yourself. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I cry pretending I'm giving that speech. Mm, don't we all? <laughs> Do, don't we all? Yes, I I am right there with you. You feel me? Um, so before we let you go, is there anything you want to plug? Anywhere people can follow you? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, my Instagram handle at shy Tegan because I am a shy, shy girl. Um Yeah, that's where you can follow me. Like I said, you search transgender legally blonde. You will see my photo. You will see the article that Reese Witherspoon liked in her tweet. So it is Reese approved. Hello. The best endorsement you could possibly have. Who could ask for anything more? Thank you guys so, so much for asking me to join this conversation. Thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you for joining us. Any excuse to talk about Legally Blonde. And I will see everybody (laughs) in theaters, hopefully post-pandemic, when we can really experience Legally Blonde 3 together. Be a celebration for the ages. (laughs) Most definitely. I love that. All right, shall we we dive right in? Let's get, let's get, uh, you know, put a pinky toe in there and then head deep, whatever. Nice. At the beginning of the movie, Perfect Day by Hoku plays. We're really setting the scene in Cali. We're at college and we see clips of a woman brushing her hair, putting on her makeup, prepping for the day. So we're like right off the bat jumping in with the male gaze, which I see as like a conscious and self-aware choice. I don't know if it was, but I think it makes sense in my like analytical brain. I agree with that. Yeah. We see, like, the sorority house. It's Delta New. Um, There's, like, girls on ellipticals and, like, girls in the bathroom, like, doing face masks. Um, Just, like, classic what you'd expect from a sorority. 
and all the girls are passing around a card that they're signing, and it's a good luck card for Elle for her big date tonight. And her friends are like gushing over how Elle's boyfriend Warner, his grandmother just visited, which means like she definitely gave him the engagement ring for Elle. How times have changed. I cannot imagine being engaged before graduating college. Yeah, simply could never be me. Like my mom got married really young. She was... 22 yeah because she turned 23 on her honeymoon and while I was at my brother's wedding in 2018 she was like oh yeah like I was the age that you are now when I got engaged to your dad and I'm like that would send "Ah." me spiraling yeah I know that like there's a phrase ring by spring where people want to get engaged by their spring sweet like by their senior spring that's crazy to me Mm -hmm. moving forward So Elle is getting ready for her big date. She's very excited. She obviously has to pick out the perfect outfit. So she goes to a boutique with her best friends, Margot and Serena. I remember going to going out to shop with your friends. Do you remember Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Being in stores. Being in a real store with someone coming over to willingly help you. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of all their fun, some raggedy ass witch tries to take advantage of her and sell her an out of season item at full price. But Elle can see right through her lie. She tells the lady, it's impossible to do a half loop stitch on low viscosity rayon. It would snag the fabric and you didn't just get it in. I saw it in June Vogue last year. Even though it's a quick back and forth, we start to get the character starts developing. Okay, we see that L, you know, is more intelligent than she looks. I guess if you're like judging her based off the fact that she always wears pink, but really she is like an intelligent person and she's like whip smart. So yeah, mm-hmm. a little glimpse of what she's actually like and not just what people perceive her as. Also very important to note, if you're at all familiar with the musical, this is the Courtney take your break scene. Yes, very important. If you have not seen it, there's like a compilation video on YouTube with like a bunch of different like high school and community theater productions. And it's just like the Courtney take your break part of this song. I highly recommend checking it out. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I just go check it out. See for yourself. Yeah. So after this little scene, we meet the infamous Warner, Elle's boyfriend, Warner Huntington III, comes to pick her up for a date, and they're like the classic, like, Ken and Barbie-looking couple, and they head over to the restaurant, and (laughs) I'm looking at our notes, and I know this was definitely written by Mo. They head over in his douche-mobile, and um, yeah, Warner just starts, you know, talking about his future, because he's going to Harvard in the fall, he says that he needs to get serious, and that he wants to run for office someday, and he says... You know, if I'm going to be a senator by the time I'm 30, I need to stop dicking around. And then he says, I think we should break up at the same time that she says, I do, because she thought he was going to propose. He says, if I'm going to be a senator, I need to marry a Jackie and not a Marilyn. So rude. Yeah. Why would you say that? And why would you, if you had a poor opinion about your girlfriend, why would you date her? I must know. He has like no respect for her whatsoever. So obviously Elle is shocked and Warner is trying to get her to calm down and be quiet because she's kind of like making a scene in the restaurant. But you kind of realize that Warner completely infantilizes her and doesn't believe in her capabilities. And his breakup is also very tactless. 
like taking her to a beautiful restaurant just to like give her awful news is like a really big asshole move. I feel like if I was going to break up with someone, I would like do it like in their home or in my home, like somewhere private so you can talk and like it's not in front of other people. And like, actually, I'd probably do it in their home so then I can leave and they can just like stay at home and like do whatever they need to do. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't ever really want to be like taken out on a breakup date. Like that doesn't sound fun to me. Just break up with me, preferably in person, because I think that if you don't get to do it in person, it's like kind of cowardly. But have you seen A View from the Top? No. Oh my gosh. It's like a Gwyneth Paltrow, Mark Ruffalo movie. And Gwyneth Paltrow is like a flight attendant. But at the beginning, she's like dating this dude. She works at like a department store or something. And he breaks up with her in a birthday card. What? On her birthday. No. She's so excited to read the birthday card. And she's like, you're breaking up with me. And he's, she's like in a birthday card. And he's like, well, they don't make breaking up cards. And I'm like, you absolute dick. What is wrong with you? It's so funny to me that Gwyneth Paltrow is like in movies as like girl next door or like middle of nowhere type movies when in reality, she's just like, she looks like a model. I know. Yeah. I'm like, sorry, I, I don't buy it. <laughs> Yeah. Not from Gwyneth Paltrow. The CEO of Goop now. The Goop CEO just in a small town trying to make it. So Al decides to leave. She's had enough of this like humiliation. I would leave too. I think it's like a lot to handle. So she decides to walk home by herself. And I I want to say like to Warner's point, like he does offer her a ride home, but I hate Warner, so I don't care. But <laughs> she accepts eventually because... Um, she doesn't want to ruin her shoes. Uh, the date is total nightmare fuel. Fast forward a week from then, Elle is having a really tough time. She is going through her grieving process. Um, Vanessa Carlton, a thousand miles, is playing. She's eating chocolate, laying in her bed. Her friends are worried about her. She throws her chocolate at the TV while watching General Hospital. There's a lot of emotion running through that dorm room. Yeah, I honestly didn't even, because I've seen this movie like 600 times, but I never noticed that like A Thousand Miles is playing in the background until you brought it up. And that is also when I learned of your deep love for Vanessa Carlton. Dog, I loved Vanessa Carlton. I would listen to her on my mom's like Pandora app on her Blackberry (laughs) using my three skips per hour to try to get Vanessa Carlton songs. Yeah, I am really not that familiar with her discography other than a thousand miles and like maybe one or two other songs but maybe i'll check her out highly recommend so after that Elle's friends want to cheer her up and they do what they always do which is go get mani petties and this becomes like a important through line throughout the movie like anytime shit really starts to go south you go get a mani petty i understand that i love getting a mani petty and like when i was a kid my mom and i would go for pedicures so it's like it's like a bonding thing that i used to do with my mom it's also kind of like a great way to get out of the house and not feel like you need another person with you i'm getting my nails done i'm doing something exactly um so her friend serena is talking to the nail technician and she's saying like you know we all thought that she would be the first one to walk down the aisle and now she's totally adrift and Elle is like reading a magazine and she sees an article in it and it's a picture of Warner's brother and his fiance who is a student at Yale Law. And she realizes that like this is the kind of girl that she needs to be for Warner. She needs to like become a law student so he'll marry her. 
Wild. I understand yeah. where she's coming from. Because he did say, like, you're not the type of girl oh, that yeah. I should marry. So she goes to her parents and, you know, says that she wants to go to Harvard and they're, like, not really supportive. Her dad says, sweetheart, you don't need law school. It's for people who are boring and ugly and serious. And you, Button, are none of those things. Which is, like, so rude. Like, I cannot imagine saying that to my daughter. It seems like she has, like, a good relationship with her parents. But they're, like, really laid back and they're kind of like, you don't need to do that. Like, you're fine. You got your degree. And they don't really believe in, like, her having dreams beyond that. But I guess in the end, like, spoiler alert, they do end up paying for her to go to Harvard. Because I'm assuming that Elle's not paying for it herself. No. I doubt. And her dad also, during this, has just the most beautiful looking martini in his hand. Oh, yeah. So, Elle continues on her trek to Harvard. She goes and meets with an advisor at CULA and tells her that, you know, she's got to get into Harvard Law. Like, what does that take? And the advisor is like, hold up. Wait a minute. You don't have any backups? And she's like, no. It's literally just Harvard. But she does say she has like a 4-0, which I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. You don't think that she actually has the credentials to back up what she wants to do. But then you kind of get a glimpse of like, oh, like she is really smart. Maybe she can make it happen. The advisor is really skeptical, but she says that Elle needs excellent recommendations, a killer admissions essay, and at least a 175 on her LSATs. And in, in case you don't know, the LSATs are out of 180. So a yeah. very, very high score. All right. L is kicking it into overdrive. She has one thing and one thing only on her mind, and that is getting into Harvard Law. She tells her friends about her plans, and the entire sorority house agrees to help her study. Um, they're actually all really enthusiastic about it, and that's pretty cool. We see a montage of her skipping parties and like Greek events and stuff and taking practice tests and studying. Yeah, it's like nice to see like such a supportive group of friends like I really don't know that much about like the sorority life I feel like what I do know is not great but I guess it's nice to see that she has like a supportive community and like one of the things that I read about this movie was that Reese Witherspoon went and like spent a lot of time with like a sorority and like sorority girls and went out to dinners and stuff to like get to know them and like have like a more authentic portrayal that's pretty cool yeah and she said that they were all like just so sweet and loving and nice and I feel like that really shines through in Reese's performance because Elle is just like so kind to everybody throughout the entire movie even when they're like being such dicks to her like she never attacks anybody ever yeah which is great. but yeah so she instead of writing a traditional admissions essay gets a coppola to direct a admissions video and like we see her running a house meeting as the president of Delta New. She recounts details of a Days of Our Lives episode, which like proves her impeccable memory and attention to detail. And she uses legal jargon in everyday life. Like there's a scene where she gets catcalled and yells, I object, which is iconic. Yes. Finally, after all her hard work, Elle gets her LSAT results. And This is so unrealistic, but she got a 179, literally one point away from perfect results. Um, And there's a huge celebration with streamers. Everyone's so happy for her. It's a really beautiful moment. It's like all this hard work paid off. I just have to get accepted now. Flash to the review board or the admissions board for Harvard Law. 
they saw her video submission and they are just Rock foaming hard. at the mouth. They're literally like drooling and at a straight 90 degrees. Oh my God. And um, they definitely paid very, very hard attention to the video because she was in a bikini and in a pool. But also, um, Elle does have great credentials. And, you know, they talk about those credentials, even though I think that if she looked differently, they might have not talked about them at all. But yeah, so she, you know, they talk about her 4.0, her 179 LSAT. She's got extracurriculars. (laughs) They say that since she would be their first fashion major it is diversity which you know nothing says diversity like a white blonde woman they mention her philanthropy and um yeah they decide to let her in Ooh, harvard baby she drives to the east coast in her little convertible and it is like a different world of tweed fabric and dark hair when she pulls up to harvard for orientation everyone is like gawking at her She's dressed head-to-toe in pink, and it's really not the look. It's not the look people are sporting. But, you know, Elle's confident, and she's having a good time, despite people calling her, like, Malibu Barbie. Yeah, so next, Elle is at orientation, and she's in, like, a little icebreaker group on the lawn. And so we get to meet some of her classmates, the first of which is David Kidney. He has a master's in Russian literature and a PhD in biochem. He looks a little bit, like dorky and disturbed but he seems very nice he looks rattled yeah he's he wasn't (laughs) ready for harvard but he's there next we meet enid wexler she was top of her class at berkeley she has a degree in women's studies and last year she organized lesbians against drunk driving next is aaron mitchell he went to princeton he has like a super high iq and he says that like it's believed that stephen hawking stole ideas from his fourth grade paper. Hate him. Um, (laughs) Not a fan. Yeah, not a fan. And then Elle introduces herself and Bruiser and says that they're both Gemini vegetarians. Cool. Mo Mo is feeling very seen by that comment. Yeah, she has her bachelor's in fashion merchandising. She was the Zeta Lambda Nu sweetheart, president of Delta Nu, homecoming queen. And two weeks ago, she talked Cameron Diaz out of buying a heinous Angora sweater. And this is where we get one of the most iconic quotes of the 2000s. Whoever said orange is the new pink is seriously disturbed. Dog, orange is such a hard color to pull off too. It is. It honestly makes people either look like a little cartoon, like puppeteer character or people like look great in it, but it's it's something you're born with. Pink is a friend to all. Yes. So Al goes to her first class, and on the way there, we have the much-awaited moment of seeing Warner. So she nonchalantly passes by in the hallway, and Warner is shocked. He literally can't believe his eyes. He's like, what? 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 Yeah, bitch, she goes here now. So Al responds with, what? Like, it's hard? And the first class of clearly it's it had to be taught by Holland Taylor mm-hmm. in a very thick transatlantic accent. <laughs> um, she asks Elle if she like did the reading for class. She didn't, which seems kind of out of character for her because she's been so studious throughout the film. I'm kind of like, did y'all like send out a syllabus? Like, what's the disconnect? Anyways, um, Vivian Kensington. A classmate says it's not acceptable that Elle isn't prepared and Holland kicks her out of class. 
Yeah. I know that Holland Taylor's character has a name, but I don't remember what it I is don't because remember. when I see her when I see her, all I see is Holland Taylor. So that's just what we're gonna call her. So Elle leaves class. She like goes outside to these benches, and this is where she meets Emmett. And um nobody's surprised. I'm in love with him. I wanted to marry mm-hmm. him as a child. I still do. I like Emmett. I just I admire your affinity for him. I just don't like have a love a like a movie crush on him he's like extremely extremely my type yeah 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 just like appearance wise even oh yeah and um you know he doesn't really have a very big role in this movie but i feel like every time you see him it's always positive he's always supportive and just lovely and therefore i love him (laughs) and therefore therefore i love him I do want to rewatch the second movie because I believe he has a bigger role in there because mm-hmm. like him and Elle are getting married. Yeah, I should rewatch that just just to get a little bit more Emmett in my life. Definitely. But yeah, they like chat and he gives her advice on like the different professors. And I'm like, you just met your future husband, girl. Mm-hmm. Good for you. But in the midst of their nice little discussion, Warner interrupts. And that's when we realize Vivian, the girl who helped get Al kicked out of class, is Warner's fiance with a giant, gaudy, ugly ass rock on her finger. Um, yeah, it's gross. Oh yeah, it's like not cute. Like I don't want that ring. Mm-hmm. I'm really not even particular about stuff like that, but I'm just like, you look dumb. You look showy. Yeah, it looks like a gumball machine ring. I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. She was his prep school girlfriend, and now she is his fiance. Um, he also calls her. Pooh Bear, which is what he called Al. Come on, unoriginal. Get your yeah. own content. Make up some content. Mm-hmm. We only endorse recycling for the environment. So after that, shit is bad. So emergency mani pedi time. Necessary. Al like drives to a salon, and this is where we meet Paulette, played by the amazing Jennifer Coolidge, who I would watch her do literally anything. And Elle tells her, like, everything about how awful things are and that she wishes she never went to Harvard. And, like, Paulette tells Elle about her shitty ex who, like, straight up stole her dog. And they, like, totally bond. And Paulette encourages Elle to steal the bastard back. Yes. So now Elle is in, like, go mode. She's like, I got a plan and I'm sticking to it. We go to her next class And we meet Professor Callahan, who, side note, just keep this in the back of your brain, offers a coveted internship at his firm for the end of the semester. So, Elle is putting her plan into action. She shows up Vivian by cleverly answering the professor's question. She's like, I'm here too. Notice me. Yeah. One thing that I really like about Elle is that, like, she in her plan to like get Warner back she's not like oh I'm just gonna go and like seduce him and get him back like I'm gonna go in there and break up this relationship she's like no I'm gonna get him back by like showing how amazing I am and yeah. he'll respond to that so it's like nice to see that she's not going in to be like I'm gonna break up this relationship and like fuck Vivian but she's like I'm just gonna be the best that I can be and we'll see how it goes so L asks Warner and Vivian if she can join their study group and she brings like muffins and everything. It's like very sweet. But there are a bunch of little bitch babies and they mm-hmm. claim that the group is full Cowards. and they basically Yeah, and they basically call her stupid. And it like really sucks. Warner like barely tries to stand up for Elle, but he doesn't really do anything and they just reject her. So she's leaving the library and then Enid, who we mentioned earlier, decides it's 
time for her to chime in. And she's like, hey, maybe there's like a sorority you could like join instead. Like, what a jerk. Yeah. And Elle says, if you had come to a rush party, I would have at least been nice to you. And Enid's like, oh, is that before you voted against me and called me a dyke behind my back? And Elle says, I don't use that word. You must have heard it from Vivian. And like, I have like such an issue with Enid in this movie because like she's portrayed as like this like hardcore feminist, like cares about women, all this stuff. But she's like such a hypocrite and she's fully judging Elle based on how she looks. She like doesn't try and have a conversation with her ever to get to know her and like assumes that Elle would have like bigoted views against her when like Elle does not discriminate against people for what they look like or for their sexuality. And yeah, I just think Enid is not an inclusive feminist. Yeah, they kind of really make this character super, like, turfy and just, like, Mm -hmm. um, very, like, essentialist and, like, against any other um, displays of, like, femininity that aren't perceived as, like, hardcore, like, washing Mm -hmm. of the effeminate, like, completely, like, masculine, whatever. She's like, oh, you can't be a girly feminist. Yeah, and, like, later on, she's, like, it's, like, a very, very small kind of throwaway moment, but she's talking to Warner at a party, and she's talking about how she's petitioning for the school to change the word semester to ovester, because the word semester shows the dominance of semen over ovaries, but, like, I actually looked it up, and semester comes from, like, a Latin word, and it has nothing to do with semen, and also, like, it's very essentialist and turfy, I think. Yeah, she's, like, kind of wild and out. I think that it's more her character is supposed to be kind of, like, a super stereotypical, like, Berkeley girl. Mm-hmm. It's, like, hiking boots and, like, oh, you're a lesbian and stuff, which is also problematic. Yeah. But this character sucks. Like, she's such a bully. She's super mean. So by this point, Elle is feeling incredibly alone. She doesn't really have any friends. She calls her old friends at CULA, but... They're really preoccupied with their own lives. So Elle doesn't really get the like comforting conversation she wants. But she hears news of a party from the hallway. She goes out into the hallway and it turns out Vivian is throwing a costume party. Okay. A costume party. Giant air quotes around that. Elle takes this bait and she is genuinely excited but you can tell it's going to be like a big yike. Yeah, so Elle shows up. She is dressed as a Playboy bunny. And shocker, it's not actually a costume party. No. And like there is simply no way to spin that costume. You can't pretend that it was just what you had on. It's, it's, it's too elaborate. Niche. Yeah. Um. So Vivian sees her and she like does a spit take and she's like, nice outfit. And Elle says... I like your outfit too, but when I dress up as a frigid bitch, I try not to look so constipated. Oof. Elle and Warner start talking at the party because he is literally like, oh, she looks very attractive. And he thinks with one thing and one thing only. So they start flirting and like he's like kind of like holding her, but immediately demeans her intelligence and says, I don't even know how it comes up. I think he's just like, oh, come on. And he says that she'll never get the coveted internship from class. Finally, the alarm bells are going off for Elle, and she realizes that she'll never be good enough for him. Um, not that she isn't good enough, but that 
in his eyes. Like, he is never going to think so. And Mm -hmm. Elle is done with his shit. She kind of, like, makes these realizations and says, I'll show you how valuable Elle Woods can be. Without changing, she immediately goes to buy a laptop from the school store. Like, the classic... um, you know, Mac laptop with the orange clear plastic. And like the little handle, so it looks like a purse. Like I wanted one of those yeah. so badly. Very Rory Gilmore. Actually, this probably came out before that, but. Um, yeah. And, and at the computer store, don't know why everyone's going to the store so late at night, but she runs into Emmett. Dun, dun, dun. So then we get montage number two of this movie. She is like studying her ass off. She's going to the library She's answering questions in class like a boss. She is like reading and studying while on the elliptical and watching the news at the same time. She's studying while she's getting highlights. Like the girl is at the top of her game. She is getting shit done and rising through the ranks. Honestly, it seems like if you want to concentrate on your studies, you should just not make friends. Imagine how well I would have done in college if I didn't have friends. Imagine how well we would have done if we like weren't friends with each other if we weren't just enabling each other yeah. with our bad studying habits i'm like oh my gosh i waited until the last day to do this and we're like oh per- no this is great because now we'll just stay yeah. up drinking incredibly strong caffeinated <laughs> beverages and like having panic attacks on the hour oh yeah I have this, like, really amazing... I, like, saved the whole Snapchat story. There was, like, oh this one God. all-nighter that me and Mo pulled in college. Um, It was... This one was of many, bullshit. just saying. Yeah. It was... We took this class that had an essay due on the same day as the final, which oh. is, like, so fucking cruel. Like, why would you do that? Um, So we had to stay up all night, like, writing our two essays. And, like, this whole Snap story, it starts at maybe, like, 10 p.m. and ends at, like... 10 a.m. after we took our final but you can just see our slow descent into madness i wanted to end it all i was like not doing well and you get like when you stay up and pull an all-nighter you like get groggy you get Mm -hmm. like you just get inside your own head and you're like this will never work this will (laughs) never work i feel like at one point you like drew a smiley face on a like i had like a box of cheez-its you drew a smiley face on one of the Cheez-Its and you were like, look at this self-portrait or something like insane because it was like four in the morning. I and was not like, doing okay. Yeah. Because like, I think by the time I finished my essay, it was probably like almost five. And then I was like, great, now it's time to study for the final. Oh, yeah. And class I'm was like, at 9 a.m. That is what we did. We were like, okay, finish. The- oh, oh, our friend though, he literally read every book. From the entire, I can't even believe he, I guess like if you spend 24 hours doing it, like you could have done it, but he read every play from that semester to study for the final. I definitely did not. (laughs) I was insane that he did that. And he, I'm pretty sure he aced it. Like he was like not having any difficulty at all. Um, Mm -hmm. So he didn't even look over any material. He just read every single play over, which I think that's kind of insane that he retained all that information. I think I I probably read like, I I don't know if my guess is there's probably like what, 25 plays. Oh, I don't know. Something like that. I probably read like four. Oh, yeah. I didn't read that many. Most. Yeah. That class is like hard. I didn't even read the play that I wrote the essay on and gave a presentation on. Oh, my God. I guess that class wasn't even like hard hard it was just like you have to do 
all of this. I'm getting a headache thinking about this. I can't talk yeah. about this anymore. What's the next yeah, part? thank God we we both passed and we graduated and it's done and we never have to do it again. Never, unless we go to grad. Whatever. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Anyways, despite having no friends at Harvard Law, Al does have Paulette, and Paulette and her are pretty tight by this point. She encourages her to go back to her ex's house to get her beloved dog um, from this jerk guy that she used to date. So Paulette goes to the trailer park and knocks on his door. But this guy is like a total asshole. And Mm -hmm. he makes fun of the way she looks and like bullies her. And that's when Al realizes she has to step in. So she poses as Paulette's lawyer super illegal but whatever yeah you you really can't do that but you know she does it and she kind of like bullshits him and like pulls some fake law like out of her ass but he's like an idiot so he believes her and we love to see it and um paulette is like i'm taking the dog dumbass and goes in and gets her pup and like honestly jennifer coolidge has the range she went from like being shy and meek and like unsure to like hardcore badass in like two seconds and you love to see it and yeah i think that Elle and paulette's relationship is just like so incredible like they have this really really genuine friendship and bond like despite class identities and they live different lives and they're different ages like you don't see that manifest itself in their relationship it's just really loving yeah back to class back to school werner answers a question in class but L one-ups his answer, providing an even better legal strategy. And Callahan notices. So at the end of class, because he's impressed, he asks for a resume um, for his internship. And L hands him her resume. It's pink and scented and, you know, leaves a lasting impression. Can't have a resume mm-hmm. that looks like everyone else's. Yeah, it definitely stands out. Um, so some time passes and... It's spring semester and there's like a big group of people in the hallway and it turns out that like Callahan has such a huge caseload that he's taking on first year interns. So Elle pushes her way to the front and she sees the list. It's Warner, Vivian, Enid, and Elle. Bang, bang. So she casually goes over to Warner and she's like, do you remember when we spent those four amazing hours in the hot tub after winter formal? This is so much better than that, and walks away. And then Vivian says, four hours. Four hours. This dick be broken now. He can't do that shit anymore. He can no longer perform at that level because of his decrepitness and assholery. This is what happens when you're a dick. Your dick breaks. Your dick breaks in not one but two pieces. (laughs) Oh my god. We're recording in our closets. And I feel like an animal. <laughs> We're good. At least there's not. Oh, you know what I think is so creepy? Like those recording booths where you have to close the door. I do not like it. I was in the one of those um, when I did just like a voice class, whatever, at Stone Street. And I do not like enclosed spaces. Yeah, maybe the voiceover career path is not the one for you. I'd get over it if I got paid probably, but... Mm. Being stuck in the box is, like, definitely, I'd have to pretend I was, like, somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Is it internship time? The legal team has gotten together, and we're at the internship. Dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. 
Dun, dun. <laughs> we cannot obviously get the rights to play the Law and Order theme song, so that is all you get, unfortunately. That will but. suffice. Case. Burke Wyndham made a name, Taylor, charged with shooting her husband in their mansion. Here's a little profile on Brooke. She was a fellow Delta Nu, a fitness instructor in Cali, and she has an empire of workout DVDs. So she's like this fitness guru, like influencer before Instagram existed. Um, They all think that she's guilty because the daughter of her husband, a deceased husband, and pool boy found her standing over the body. And as they're discussing this, Emmett enters looking incredibly cute. This is his first real introduction. Um, Callahan says, like, this is Emmett. He graduated at the top of his class and he was the editor of the Harvard Law Review. Yeah, it turns out he is Callahan's associate. So they're talking about the case and obviously, like, everybody thinks that she's guilty except Mm -hmm. for Elle. And Elle says, I don't think Brooke could have done this. Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. And happy people just don't shoot their husbands. They just don't. And, like, Brooke refuses to give her alibi, but she insists that she loved her husband and that she's innocent. And she also recognizes Elle from her fitness class in L.A. Mm -hmm. And she says that she's happy on the case and they have this, like, little bonding moment. Back at the salon, we see that Paulette has been crushing on this UPS man the entire movie, but she's too shy to say anything. Even though he's clearly into her too, he keeps flashing the dimps. The connection is there. So Mm -hmm. Elle teaches Paulette her mother's patented move. The bend and snap. It's like a little, like, you you drop something. Oh, no. You go down to pick it up. Your booty is, like, pointed. It's, like, poised. And then you kind of bring your arms up like little T-Rex arms. (laughs) And you, like, push your breasts together i suppose so the entire salon joins in on the fun and i think it's actually a really beautiful display of like owning your sexuality being in charge of your body it's a it's a nice little communal time everyone's having a fun empowering moment with each other originally they wanted to do like there was like a whole choreographed like musical number for this but they ended up cutting it which i think was probably the right call oh yeah yeah i was watching the legally blonde musical a couple days ago in preparation to record this it's available on youtube if anyone wants to go check it out but i was watching it with a friend of mine who is music directed legally blonde like six thousand times and he was like yeah this is my least favorite number to direct in the musical because like the song in the musical it's like look at my ass look at my thighs like it's very like overtly male gazy yeah they kind of like twisted it and they were like yeah it's not for you anymore it's for everyone else yeah so next we go to the prison and Elle has decided to visit Brooke by herself and like genuinely talk to her about like what happened and Brooke actually does give Elle her alibi and it turns out that she was getting liposuction Mm -hmm. which when you're like a fitness instructor that's not a great PR move yeah and she says I've already lost my husband I'd rather go to jail than lose my reputation and Elle being the classy lady that she is keeps her secret despite pressure from literally everyone and Warner is like oh who cares about Brooke think about yourself and like this dude has absolutely no integrity and even Vivian his fiance like gives him a look and loses respect for him yeah Warner sex and it's confirmed 
So Elle and Emmett have their first moment alone together because they go to the spa to get information from Hayworth's ex-wife. So we get like a little petite biscuit flirting moment between Emmett and Elle because Elle calls Emmett a butthead and says that he needs to broaden his perspective about the case. Um, It's really weird how little Brooke's defense believes in her. I can't tell if it's because like, you know, she withholds her alibi or... Just the fact that, like, she's, like, a really pretty blonde woman and initially, you know, they thought that she probably did kill her husband for money, but she has her own money, so. Mm-hmm. I digress. We get to the spa and Miss Wyndham Vandermark tells them Brooke was having an affair with the pool boy, but Elle is not convinced. She still believes Brooke and she knows that Brooke is a good person. So they drive back to campus together and Emmett encourages Elle to use the fact that people underestimate her to her advantage. It's actually like a really great compliment because that means Emmett isn't underestimating her. Like he knows how intelligent and what a great lawyer she can be. After Elle gets inside her dorm room, Vivian pays her a little visit she actually tells Elle that not revealing the alibi was a really classy move. And she also brings up how their professor always makes the girls get coffee um, and reveals Warner was waitlisted at Harvard and that he also doesn't do his own laundry. So kind of seeing a theme with some of these men in the movie, mm-hmm. like Callahan, Warner, even Paulette's ex, they're like mm-hmm. not good guys. And we really see that kind of like unfolding, like the people who seem to like hold all the power in the situation ended up being jerks. Yeah, just little babies. Little baby bosses, but not bosses. They're like baby cowards. Mm-hmm. So Vivian and Elle have a moment. It's really heartfelt. She even holds Bruiser and you can see a little friendship begin to form. Yeah, it's just nice to see like these two women are, you know, supporting each other. And I'm really glad that the movie didn't go down the route of like a petty cat fight between two women, like fighting over a man. Like it's very refreshing to see that like these two women, you know, can be friends. And yeah, it's great. I agree. So after that, we go back to the salon. The UPS man is back. We hear I Believe in Miracles playing in the background, like something spicy is about to happen. Paulette does the bend and snap, but unfortunately, she breaks the UPS man's nose in the process. Ouch. Rough times. So we're in court now. Dun dun. We have Chutney, the ex-wife, and Enrique, the pool boy, testifying against Brooke. Enrique says he's having an affair with Brooke, and she denies it. After that, there's like a little recess in the court, and Al goes to the water fountain. But Enrique cuts in front of her. Al kind of taps her foot to make him realize that he's being a jerk, but he says, don't stomp your little last season Prada shoes at me, honey. And this is such a weird part of the movie, but I guess from that moment, Elle deduces that he's gay and therefore lying about the affair. I don't think this part of the movie ages well. Yeah, it it's pretty similarly bad in the musical as well. Like there's a whole number called gay or European where they're debating whether or not he is gay or European. And instead of it being like about the shoes, instead like Elle does the bend and snap in front of him and he doesn't notice. And she's like, oh, he's not attracted to me. So obviously he's gay, which a little disappointing. Like it could have been worse, but it could be better. The more you tell me about the musical, the more like disappointed I am. Yeah, honestly, I didn't love it. Like there's a lot of really good stuff in there. I think the music is like very, very impressive. And 
you know, because I watched it with somebody who has music directed it, I got like a lot of the like behind the scenes intricacy yeah. details of it. Because mm-hmm. like, I don't really know that much about orchestrations. But I don't know, like, they like, so you know, the montage where Elle is like, getting it together. And she's like studying at Harvard and like stepping it up. And she like, it's completely self motivated. In the musical, instead, like after the party, she runs into Emmett. And like, there's this whole 10 minute song called Ship on My Shoulder where, like, he essentially, like, tutors her and studies with her and, like, encourages her to, like, step it up and become the best lawyer she can be. And, like, uh, he's the one that, like, gives her the tip at Paulette's house about, like, how to get the dog back. And I'm like, no, it shouldn't be coming from him. No, she never needed motivation from someone else. She yeah. motivated herself. She studied herself. Why mm. does that need to change in the musical? Yeah. Like, I get that they want to develop the Elle and Emmett relationship because it's, like, a musical and you, like, if you're going to have that there, you want to, like, have it make sense. Whereas, like, here it really takes a backseat. But, like, there's other ways to do that. You don't need to have, like, him be the one that transforms Elle into, like, the woman that she becomes. I don't know. Like, that was my main issue with the musical was, like, some of the liberties that they took in that aspect. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyways... So Elle brings this realization that Enrique is gay to the team and nobody believes her. Callahan is absolutely useless during cross-examination. He asks him like one question and Emmett decides to step up to the plate because he actually believes Elle. And he trips up Enrique and gets him to say his boyfriend's name, which is Chuck. And Enrique is like, oh, Chuck is just a friend. And then Chuck is in the courtroom and stands up and is like, you bitch, and then storms out. And um, yeah, Elle was right. Everything's going well for her. Yes. Um, Vivian, after the court, you know, is out of session, tells Elle Callahan is looking for her. So Elle goes to his office and he tells her that he was impressed by her work and initiative. So it's like a really validating moment. And then he asks where she wants to be a summer associate and says competition, is about ferocity, carnage, balancing human intelligence with animal diligence, knowing exactly what you want and how far you'll go to get it. Super wild for a professor to mm-hmm. say this to a student. Yeah. And then he puts his hand on Elle's leg. Elle is totally shocked and disgusted. Um, he's clearly just like a big piece of shit, you realize in this moment. And he tells her that he's a man who knows what he wants. But Elle says, I'm a law student who just realized her professor is a pathetic asshole. So luckily, she's able to leave that situation. Yeah, it could have gone like so much worse. Like, thank God she was able to get out of there. But yeah, it's it's awful. It sucks. I think it's like really great that a movie 20 years ago had this kind of like, like we talked about with Tegan, like has this little like me too moment. I feel like it's very ahead of the times. So when Elle leaves, she um, gets in the elevator. And what she didn't know was that Vivian saw like the beginning of this encounter with Callahan and like immediately assumed that Elle was sleeping with him and then goes and confronts her. And she says, you almost had me fooled. Like maybe you should sleep with the jury too. And like, no, Vivian. We came so far, Vivian. do that? Yeah. Like, she didn't even ask her what was going on, didn't, like, check to see if she was okay. She just immediately was like, oh, yeah, she's sleeping with him. Because there's no other way that Elle could have, like, been doing well in this internship. (sighs) It sucks. And, like, 
poor Elle. Like, she's feeling so awful. I can't even imagine. So she's leaving the building and she runs into Emmett and she tells him that she's quitting, that this was all a huge mistake and that she only got the internship because Callahan wanted to sleep with her and that he just hit on her. And Emmett, being amazing, actually believes her and doesn't question it. And um, yeah, Elle's like, I'm moving back to California. I'm going to stop trying to be something that I'm not. And he says, well, what if you're trying to be someone that you are? Like, to hell with Callahan. Stay. And she insists that she has to leave and walks away. And I will say, to the musical's credit, like, the song in this part is, like, very, very good. It's called Legally Blonde, and it's a very beautiful song. It's a really sad moment because we saw how hard Elle worked to get to where she ended up. And she, I don't want to say she's throwing it all away because... It was really like crushing for her to realize that this professor who she looked up to and who she was like happy to work with actually had ulterior motives. Like I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty um, shattering. So she has everything packed and she goes to the salon one last time to say goodbye to Paulette. And she has this memorable quote, all people see when they look at me is blonde hair and big boobs. No one's ever going to take me seriously. People at law school don't. Warner doesn't. I don't think even my own parents take me seriously. And it's a really low moment for her. It's like rock bottom for Elle. Yeah. And during this lowest of the low, Holland motherfucking Taylor comes out of the freaking cut. She's in the salon and she says, if you're going to let one stupid prick ruin your life, you're not the girl I thought you were. And it's incredible. So she's back on her shit. She's ready to figure out what she needs to do. She's like, you know, I'm doing this for me. I'm going to stick this out for myself. So there's a quick scene before they go back to the courthouse. Vivian and Emmett are talking to Brooke and Vivian makes a snide comment about Elle and Callahan. But Emmett tells her that she doesn't know what the heck she's talking about and reveals what actually happened to set the story straight. And Vivian feels awful now she was like shit because she made a gigantic mistake and they decide to come up with a plan to fix what happened to like right the wrong that happened to Elle. Yes then we're back at court and Brooke fires Callahan in front of everybody and decides to hire Elle as her lawyer. Hell yeah. And you might be asking you might be asking us (laughs) isn't Elle just a law student? Well according to this movie A Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruling allows law students to practice under supervision of a bar-certified lawyer. I did not fact-check this, but I assume that this is not possible. It is a movie, you know? You have to take some liberties sometimes. Yeah. So Callahan's like, I refuse. I will not supervise you. And Elle implies to him that, like, he has to let her practice or she's going to reveal, like, what he did. But Emmett steps up to the plate and he agrees to supervise her. And, like, Paulette and the UPS guy are there and her college friends, they all, like, come to court to support Elle in her first trial. So, Elle steps up to do her cross-ex with Chutney, Hayworth's daughter, on the stand. When she begins, she's really tentative. She doesn't really know what questions she's planning on asking or the direction for her cross-ex. But after asking if she was in the shower like five times, um, she's kind of stalling at this point, Elle asks what she did that day. That day, Chutney got a perm. She's been getting perms for years. And this is when Elle notices her story doesn't totally line up. 
And rather than telling you about this scene, we figured that it would be much more enjoyable for everyone if we acted it out. So yeah, we're just gonna gonna jump right into a little bit of scene work. It's a little bit of a cold read. Some might call it an ice cold read. (laughs) Yeah, but we're gonna do our best. Okay, so. Miss Wyndham, had you ever gotten a perm before? How many would you say? Two a year since I was 12. You do the math. A girl in my sorority, Tracy Marcinko, got a perm once. We all tried to talk her out of it. Curls weren't a good look for her. She didn't have your bone structure. But thankfully that same day, she entered the Beta Delta Pi wet t-shirt contest, where she was completely hosed down from head to toe. Chutney, why were Tracy Marcinko's curls ruined when she got hosed down? Because they got wet? Exactly. Isn't it the first cardinal rule of perm maintenance that you are forbidden to wet your hair for at least 24 hours after getting a perm at the risk of deactivating the ammonium thyglocolate? And wouldn't somebody who's had, say, 30 perms in their life be well aware of this rule? And if in fact you weren't washing your hair, as I suspect, because your curls are still intact, wouldn't you have heard the gunshot? And if in fact you had heard the gunshot, Brooke Wyndham wouldn't have had time to hide the gun before you got downstairs, which would mean that you would have had to have found Miss Wyndham with a gun in her hand to make her story plausible. Isn't that right? She's my age. Did she tell you that? How would you feel if your father married someone your age? You, however, had time to hide the gun after you shot your father. I didn't mean to shoot him. I thought it was you walking through the door. Order! Order in the car! <laughs> Everyone's screaming. The cor- the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Mrs. Wyndham is free to go. Elle has won her case. She is, like, on cloud nine. Fuck Callahan. Fuck everyone who didn't believe in her, because she did it. And then little bitch baby Warner, too little too late, Huntington Third comes over and he tells Elle that she was amazing and that she's the girl for him and that he loves her. Trash. And Elle says, oh, Warner, I've waited so long to hear you say that. But if I'm going to be a partner at a law firm by the time I'm 30, I'm going to need a boyfriend who's not such a complete bonehead. Bam. Two years later, Elle is making her speech at their commencement and her father is in the audience with his perfectly olived martini. Um, It is freaking hilarious. She gives her speech and says, you must always have faith in people. And most importantly, you must always have faith in yourself. Then we get a little taste of what everyone is up to as graduation is happening. Elle has a job offer for one of Boston's most prestigious law firms. Yeah, and Vivian dumped Warner, and she and Elle have become best friends. Warner graduated without honors, without a girlfriend, and without any job offers. Although, he went to Harvard Law, like, he's definitely going to get a job eventually. Yeah, I'm sure Daddy will make a call. And then Paulette and the UPS man are now married, and they're expecting... Emmett quit Callahan's law firm and started his own practice. Elle and Emmett have been dating for two years, and he plans to propose tonight. Yeah, and Perfect Day by Hoku plays right at the end, and that's the movie. Ah, a beautiful display of just cinematic brilliance. So, um, what are your final thoughts, Mo? This movie is freaking amazing. It's so much better than I remember it being. I just didn't pick out, like, all of those details when I was watching it when I was, like, younger. But I think it's really, it's just really well-written, well-casted. I feel like I learned a lot from it. Yeah, and, like, 
I think like kind of what we talked about with Tegan, like Elle teaches us that femininity is power and like feminism means you have the choice to present yourself however you want and that it doesn't have any bearing on your intelligence and like you just need to stop putting people in boxes and like women like Elle are really capable and you know able to achieve greatness if people would just stop underestimating them. Oh yeah. It's about like believing in yourself and like putting your mind to it and achieving your goals. I think it's a testament to reconsider defining movies as chick flicks because there's so much more nuance to this movie than what like a girl and a guy falling in love or something Mm -hmm. like that because it's not even a part of the movie. Like this movie is about Elle and about all the things that she's doing. Yeah, totally. So shall we give it a rating? Yeah, let's rate it up. I'm going to give it a nine because I really enjoy this movie, although it's not my favorite movie. And I also think like it's super white. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to like hopefully the third one being a little more diverse. I think given like Reese Witherspoon's career trajectory, I think it's a safe bet to say that it probably will be. It's just inaccurate not to have a single black person in your movie or like a person from any Arabic country or like mm-hmm. Asia or anything. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not like the demographic at law school. Yeah, definitely. Unless you're only accepting white students into your school. And I think that's legal. So, yeah. But um, yeah, I would agree. I would agree to lock in a, a nine rating. Dope. Well, thank you so much for listening, you guys. As you know, you can follow us on Instagram at Movies That Raised Us, Twitter, MTRU underscore pod. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out. Yes. Um, Thank you again. Just want to reiterate that it's a pleasure having you listen. Having my mom open doors in our house is always a pleasure. Um, it, it gives me no mental damage. I feel completely <laughs> stable. I just picture my mom like opening the door to the um, deck like over and over again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much for listening and we will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening to Movies That Raised Us. We are Mel and Christina and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye.